want to say anything else? No. Okay. Don't go on. This um, uh, Williams invited, uh, invited everybody for lunch. Yes, I. I'll be coming to. Uh, I won't be coming to that. Um, <coughs> There's a dinner tomorrow as well for everyone, which I'll be going to. Oh. I, I can't handle the Bavarian sort of heavy Bavarian <laughs> Okay. But the announcement, I don't know if uh, really wants to make uh, Well, I'll remind him at, at the end. But, okay. Um, any, any comments or questions or criticisms uh, on, on the back of what's been said this morning? Ben? I'd like to come back to Silver, obviously. Hmm. Um, first of all, let me say I'm very happy that you came around to my point of view. <laughs> <laughs> I remember discussing with you this problem, and I think it's a very significant one. But uh, since Hugo Salinas Price uh, just released a new interview in which he sounded, I just read excerpts, but he sounded much more, um, much stronger than like saying that um, society could go down in flames very soon if we don't act on, on this. And he says that silver as the first to go, must be the first to come back into the system. And obviously you know about his, his ideas of re-monetizing silver with <coughs> the way he presents it, that the price will only rise and the state pulls the price. Um, if the price rises, the new price, and if the price falls, it stays at that price. What is your, what is your take on that? And could you, could you mix? Hugo Salinas' price idea with with real deals, in a way. Do you want to elaborate on what his idea is? Well, his idea is to coin silver coins, mm. which uh, with, with no nominal value, and if the silver price and and a centrally quoted price for that coin, and if the silver price rises, the quote rises with it, and if the silver price falls, the quote doesn't fall. Mm. Mm. What, what, well, first of all, what do you, what do you think of, of that, uh, the mechanism? Hugo's, Hugo's, you know, so the coin doesn't have um, a, a face value. It's, it's, just, it's just a minted coin, but the bank will quote a, a monotonically increasing silver price so that there is no risk of these coins... Uh, there is no risk of people not wanting to use these coins in circulation because mm. there's always a guaranteed bid that will only increase from the central bank. Well, I must confess I don't fully understand this. Mm -hmm. <coughs> uh, the following reason. I mean, just put yourself back to 1979, I think, of 1980. In January 1980, the silver price hit a uh, uh, maximum which has not been mm. uh, surpassed since something like $50 an ounce. So then this theoretical central bank would have been obliged to raise the price of silver 
to say $50 an ounce. And then there was a long drawn out bear market in silver, which uh, saw the silver price go as low as, I don't know, three, 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 something around $3. Okay? Now, according to that scenario, this central bank was not allowed to change the silver price, so it would have been $50 starting on January 1980, and it will still be $50 in spite of the fact that the market is not going to give you more than $30 to $33. Now, I, I must confess I don't understand that, and perhaps somebody can explain it to you, to me, how it works. I think the quote is an implied face value. Yeah. like if it was paper in that respect. So on one side is the implied face value and the other side is the real melt value, but clearly this could cause problems. Yeah, Keith. I think, if, assuming the quote, and I think I've read uh, Hugo Salinas Price's, uh, one of his pieces on this, the quote he's talking about is just for the silver coin, not for all the silver stock in the world. <laughs> but then what would happen, right, is that correct? <laughs> Yes. Central bank would make a bid on their own coin. So essentially, they're saying take our coin because you have a free, unlimited put option um, at whatever price you, you you paid. Well, obviously, if the silver price in the market goes down significantly, then what will happen is all of the coins will be pulled out of circulation into a giant vacuum cleaner known as the Mexican central bank. And so, if if the idea is to get silver to circulate. I'm not sure this works. If the idea is to get people to speculate and hoard silver by offering them a free put option, I think people would be happy to speculate mm. and hoard it, but then does it really circulate? Why, why would it circulate? Mm. Uh, Keith, I think what would happen is, you know, they're a metal printing now from a 3D model. You can make a woman's jaw out of a, a 3D computer model from titanium. So in about three minutes after this price spread, somebody's going to start duplicating those silver coins silver with that stuff on it and take advantage of this instantly. It'll be the easiest thing to, to counterfeit because it's a, that doesn't make So sense. we'll be literally all of the silver stocks in the world extant. We'll be, we'll be print, 3D printed into Mexican <laughs> silver pesos or whatever and come rushing in until the Mexican central bank is broken yeah. and then they withdraw their... Yeah, well, the name of the game is how to make silver circulate. Yeah. And uh, I think the theory is trying to show that this is the way to achieve universal silver circulation. But I, I, I don't see that either. No, I mean, I don't, I don't see that creating universal silver circulation either, but you could argue that when, in 1980, there would have been, at least in Mexico, this kind of coinage of silver that the price probably wouldn't have fallen as far as it did. And right now we're in a very different situation. I mean, we, we all kind of don't really believe that, that the silver price can fall to, to a very low price for an extended period of time right now. So do you think it might be a stepping stone it might be more. A stepping stone into silver circulation. Or do you see it more as a danger? 
That's a loaded question. I'm sorry, I, I don't see them. There's another way of looking at it. Now you can print money, okay? You say that this piece of paper is worth one ounce of silver, okay? I'm sorry, one ounce of gold, say. But then you might say, oh, that's outright fraud because uh, there is no intrinsic value of paper. So the, the, uh, the government could also say, okay, let's stamp a silver coin and put the value of one gold ounce on it when it's only one silver ounce. Is this any better? Well, I don't see the difference whether you print silver or you print paper uh, unless the uh, meltdown value of the coin is equal to its face value. I, I don't see any difference. Uh, it's certainly it's fraudulent and it's not going to circulate the same way. Um, one of the disadvantages of speaking without notes, which I did yesterday, sort of, is I forgot my conclusion. <laughs> I realized that when I got home. But I think it's pertinent today. All right? And, uh, but before I, I, I restate it, I, 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 uh, Professor, I love sitting next to you. I, I just, I've learned so much just from the stuff that rolls out of you when you're talking. And when you said you were talking about the demonetization of silver and why gold, it made total sense to me under the way I think is that power is always seeking to consolidate. So that's why governments wanted the, only the gold standard, all right? And, but when you pointed out that, and it, it brought up yesterday this historical thing about the war on silver, that silver was demonetized in 1870. It, I, I love symmetry of history. Because 1870 was also the year, if Britain, if, if, if they demonetized, that was the year that, that England went into a negative balance of trade. 100 years later, the United States went into a negative balance of trade. And neither recovered, all right? Now, all, and to see that silver was demonetized in 1870 and the, United, and the gold was demonetized one century later, is you have that extraordinary symmetry, once again. But the conclusion that I, didn't speak yesterday, and that I wanted really to bring to this group because you guys are Austrian, because we are Austrian economists here, is China, their, 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 their chaos with monetary paper money. They, it was a long history, all right? From 1024 to 1425, it was, it was paper money. By the mid 15th century, the Ming Dynasty no longer had paper money operating. And it wasn't because they had any laws or said we're going to do anything. Else. The people had had enough. For, you know, 400 years, they finally threw in the towel, quit, just didn't use it at all. They had been coerced. They had, they had laws. They had said if you use the, you know, the, 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 the yuan, said if you don't use our paper money, we're going to kill you. But the Mongols were gone along with their paper money. So there were the Chinese. 400 years of monetary chaos. They sp spontaneously, freedom is spontaneous, something that happens spontaneously just started, and nobody said this was a standard, they started making these silver tails, it probably started happening in one place, which was pure silver, 
All right? It had no government imprimatur. There was no seniorage involved in the process. The Chinese just started using 40 gram think, which they call tails, of silver as their circulating currency. Spontaneously in 1450. This lasted until, what was it? 1750, 1850, when the Brits showed up trying to force paper money on the Chinese. The Chinese were subsumed into the Western effect, which was good for the Chinese. I, you know, I mean, they would have stayed that way forever if they could have, all right? But it was a big shock to them. So you had in China 400 years of Pierce, your ideal appears circulating silver as the currency. Not by government fiat, but because of government interference in monetary... They had, they had gone over the limit. They had so egregiously offended the economy that the people just said, to hell with you, and they started doing it on their own. All right? It was so successful that when the, when the Ming Dynasty fell, the Qing Dynasty came in and looked at it and said, what the hell, we'll go with it because they were able to collect taxes, because there was a functioning economy, all right? The advantage gained by imposing their, their thing on an economy, it was, a, it was a, there was no, they knew it, was, they knew it, was gonna, it wasn't gonna work. But the Qing Dynasty also brought something else to the table, all right? The Qing Dynasty, when they came in, what they did was, they had looked at the way the Chinese had run their game, all right, their economic game, and what they did was, they liberalized trade regulation. They stayed out. They let local cooperative groups open up in China. The Chinese are control freaks. The reason why I'm paranoid of conservatives is I'm fucking Chinese. <laughs> and I know what they're like in their hearts. All right? And I know there's a role for conservatives like liberalism in balance. Chinese are like this, all right? The Qing came along and cut it loose, because they're not Chinese, they were Manchus from the north. And they liberalized trade in China. And so what you had in China for a brief period, 400 years in China's history is brief, is you had the Austrian dream. You had the Austrian dream. The Austrian dream came, you had freely, your dream really is it's your dream of freely circulating silver. It's not, the Austrians were dealing with central banks, monetary, and they were caught in the trap, like Ugo is. How do we get a solution? And in the middle of it, it's a central bank. All right? We, we are so trapped in our experience, we think central banks are necessary. That's like thinking a handcuff is necessary for your freedom. <laughs> All right? It's a failure of imagination. It's a failure of experience. And that was my conclusion, is that China really did have the... You, you, it, it was a freely, It was your dream of freely circulating silver, and your dream is, is the Austrian dream of freedom, and the Chinese had it for 400 years until <laughs> what they started out with their damn paper money showed up again with a gun behind it. All right? And it collapsed. So that was my, my conclusion, is that your dream is coming, our dream is coming, and it came in China after total economic collapse, and that's my hope that's going to happen here. There you go. There you go. Uh, any, uh, any more questions? 
what, what, uh, Ben? Well, then I would go on with the silver question because mm. um, naturally uh, occurring private circulating silver is one thing, but but right now, I mean, I, I'd say the Chinese were much more in tune to to what could work rather than we are right now. By force. It, it, they didn't think their way there. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it happened. Still, yeah. So, so I, I still think that, for one instance, if, if we had two years of, of rising silver prices, and one government would, would kind of come up with that scheme, and in that, kind of, in that time frame, silver prices wouldn't fall too low to, to make it unworkable. You, you could, I mean, you could change it right there and then. Why, why say it has to come up spontaneously if, if Hugo is making inroads on this? Um, I, w I want to touch on a topic the professor has been talking about all week and uh, foreshadow something I'm going to be talking about tomorrow, which is in a free market, everything is driven by arbitrage. But when the government intrudes, whether it be well-intentioned, as I'm sure Hugo Salinas Price is well-intentioned in this case, then um, arbitrage is gradually gives, away, gives way to speculation. Um, and people try to front-run the government. So what I could imagine, first of all, I don't think that putting a free put option on a particular form of silver will cause it to circulate. But what I can imagine is people begin to front run the expected result. And everybody says, well, I'm going to go and buy some of these Mexican pesos or ounces, whatever they're called. You see, it's not an, an effort to make it circulate, but to get, get the people to save in it. Well, OK, but, but what happens is large blocks of, of wealth come pouring into this you know, people in the U.S., for example, if they hear this and believe this, and they believe that the put option is credible, I'm going to call it a put option because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. That you buy it and have the right to sell it back at a fixed price, but I don't pay any premium for the put, <laughs> and the put is just fixed, right? So I come in and say, okay, fine, you know, I'm, I'm holding 5,000 ounces of silver. Why don't I sell that silver in whatever form and go buy 5,000 of these coins? And then Obviously, that takes the price off a little bit. Other people start to come in, and speculation leads to speculation leads to speculation as everybody's piling on. And this will push the silver price up to some level until the speculation can't be sustained anymore. And then the opposite is, you know, to use the word deflation, which is not my favorite word, but it, it's going to create volatility. It's going to create. The way up would be a world changing event, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, did the world change in 1980 because the price of silver had $50 an ounce? If they could drive the price of silver to $100 an ounce today, would that change the world? Or would that just be the latest in a long, long series of speculative bubbles driven by speculators trying to run, yeah, front yeah, run a central granted, bank? Granted, but I mean, my, my point was, I'm, I don't believe that Hugo Salinas' uh, effort will make silver circulate. But if you if you mature real bills into only those coins. I mean, can't we get something to add to this, to make it circulate? Really? Uh, ben, uh, this is another fiat. Fiat is a government order. That's the definition of fiat. Well, wait now, let me finish. 
And it's a whim of the government. The Mexican uh, Congress says, yeah, this looks good, let's do it. And next month, next year, three years later, they say, this wasn't such a good idea, let's undo it. Arbitrarily, or due to political pressure, or due to uh, Salinas ideas, or whatever. So I think this whole concept of fiat has to go away. And the natural, when the people throw away and say, we don't care what the, f <clears throat> pardon me, central bank is, we're just going to do our thing. And I think perhaps a more reasonable approach to, to transition is, reasonable in the fact that it's realistic, is when people have no other choice, they will use silver. And when they have no other choice, they will use gold. Dear I mean, Ben, uh, my sense is, is that you're trying to figure out a way to the better world, all right? And, um, and real bills is it. And it took me, this is one of the things, is that I only think a certain way, and it took me a long time to figure out really what his real bills thing was. My son, he, he picked it up immediately. All right. He he sat there and he wrote me back. He said, "Dad, I I I think it it, it revolves on real bills." He knew it immediately, and it took me time to figure it out. And it really does. All right. It it really does. He he hit it. And real bills formed spontaneously in the marketplace. You know, starting with the the, the Renaissance. I mean, it's the way that people learned to trade. It was a form of credit. And this, I want to make this point about the, the fucking Austrians. I mean, the not the fucking Austrians, but the ones in the United States that take that that think that your real bills is an, an anathema to Austrian economics, because it it hit me. If you can keep the currency, and you see, currency and real bills are separate. So the fact that you have real bills does not inflate the currency. That's where they made the mistake in the United States. I mean, the Rockwell people. Their orthodoxy is, is that real bills is inflationary, but it isn't. It's, it expands for the trade. It does not inflate the currency. All right, so that's really where I think the professor is really, really right. But the belief that you're going to get there by, well, let's do this and then bring in real bills. What you don't understand is how the bankers relate to real bills. It used to be the basis of a self-liquidating debt in 90 days was the basis of banking. And it was, all right? But just like in, in Gold Wars, Ferdinand Lips pointed out that the IMF disallows any government from using gold reserves as the basis of its currency. This is not by mistake. This is not an oversight. We all know gold has more value than a promise to pay in the future. But these people are so intent on their system, it is legally disallowed for any member of the IMF to use gold reserves as a basis of their currency. All right? And the same way is with real bills, in a very more subtler way. A friend, the German, his friend is Dieter Spetman. He was head of, of, of this huge German conglomeration. They did a lot of trade with Russia during their, when Russia was outside the realm of Western finance. And how they did it was real bills. They did it with real bills. All right? Now, when Russia, when, when the West was trying to kill Germany, and they were, not the West, England. When the England, when, because the English saw the French, the Germans, everyone is their enemy. And it is if dominion is your goal. Everyone is your enemy. They're either your vassals, they're certainly not going to be your equals. All right? And what England did with their paper money, they basically broke and made it illegal, made it impossible for Germany to use still real bills in their trade. 
Alright? So the idea of bringing in silver with the real bills would work in a quote ideal world. There are many paths to heaven. Alright? But not if they're disallowed by the powers that be. I think that um, just thinking off the cuff here, but Hugo Hugo's scheme it, it wouldn't work. I mean, the, coin, the Mexican coins would go to such a huge premium uh, over the, the central bank quote because it's effectively, as Keith was saying, like buying silver with a put. So it, those coins will go to that premium at least and it will defeat the object of, of having the central bank quote. And so, actually adding one other thing, the bigger the premium on that particular coin, the less it would circulate. Yeah, the less it would, would, it would be hoarded. Yeah. I don't want to pay and pay for or any other silver coin in mm. the world and keep that one in my hoard because that's the one that has the free unlimited exactly. put option on it. So you'll find that pesos are sort of 50, 40 or $60 quote if you look at what it would cost to buy silver and a put, whereas an eagle might be sort of $40 or something like that. <coughs> I think Hugo's part of his plan is that people should hold these coins mm -hmm. for them, not necessarily circulate. So I agree with all this stuff. In which case you could just say that. Uh, <laughs> Go and buy silver. <laughs> silver rather than the form of paper. Yeah. But I, I think it's a little bit detached. Do people need a put option as an incentive to hoard silver today? Yes. Outside of this room, they would. Well, yeah. Wasn't any silver hoarding going on that drove the price up to currently dollars? <laughs> Um, <clears throat> any any more questions? No. No more questions. Uh, well, I think that shall we? Uh, oh. Unless you have a comment or anything. I didn't speak very much on <coughs> the Spar paper. Let me just, uh, we have a few more minutes. <coughs> this is, uh, in my opinion, an excellent paper. This is the, uh, I mentioned two papers, one was the Mises and the other is the Spar. Ah. Third from the end. This, not, not this one. No. Yes, the significance of the gold standard. Uh, Spar talks about the instrumentality of human freedom. Of all institutions, all human institutions, the gold standard 
occupies a paramount position as an instrumentality of human freedom, private property, private enterprise, and responsible government. The nature of the gold standard should reveal something as to why it is a necessary and natural companion to human freedom. And this is a, a, a very important idea. Spar goes all the way to say that there are other institutions protecting freedom and speaking up for freedom, but none of them is so uh, effective as the gold standard. So this needs uh, probably a little justification. Um, what the government does is, uh, the government introduces a gold coin, calls it standard gold coin, and opens the mint to the free and unlimited coinage of that particular standard coin. So people come forward, bring the bullion, and convert it into coin ounce for ounce, without any loss to themselves. And uh, people will respond because the, the marketability of the gold coin will be superior to the marketability of the gold bullion. But once the government does this, establishes a standard coin, which is like defining the length of a meter or foot or what have you, and opens the mint to unlimited free coinage, then the government steps aside and let the gold standard take over without any interference from the government. So the exp expression of the will of the people will prevail. And uh, it could be that gold will be hoarded, gold will be dishoarded, gold coins will be melted or exported, and that's up to the people. If somebody wants to put some of his or her property into gold, or most of it, or all of it, that is his or her decision. Should be no interference, no uh, roadblocks put in the way. So ultimately, if a person decides that this country is not for me, then the way is open. This person can convert all his or her holdings, properties into gold and take the gold and move to another country. There should be no interference. That's the ultimate freedom. Because as we have seen time and time again, the government treats people as serfs, subjects, free labor, if not free, but at least uh, 
people are in servitude. They are uh, they are used as, in a way, farm animals. And think of think of uh, Orwell's animal farm. You see, the uh, that is, of course, against the idea of freedom. The freedom implies your freedom of moving, leaving. And you see, if you want to do it, the government will try to make it more and more difficult for you. Uh, as uh, the paramount example used to the Soviet Union, that they would shoot at you at the border if you wanted to leave, even though you left all your property behind. The government would still think it's a loss because here is a, here's a slave, a serf, trying to escape bondage. So we can have that. We have to stop him. And if we kill him on the border, trying to cross uh, the border, and it could be the Berlin Wall or any other Iron Curtain, piece of the Iron Curtain, that's what they But, ladies and gentlemen, the United States is doing something very, very similar today. Well, uh, minus the shooting at the border. But I'm not sure how long this will last, because now we have a record of an American citizen being killed on purpose without any trial whatsoever by American agents, right? But uh, let's not go that far. Just the idea of uh, how easy or how difficult it is for an American to leave American renowned citizenship. Perhaps you could comment on that. There's a, one of the things that happens in the United States is their ability to tax American income all over the world, all right? And the, the attempt to exert control by the United States has now even moved into the realm of financial transactions because the United States does hold the, is the center of the paper kingdom. And if you do not comply with U.S. regulation, reporting regulation, there's an automatic 30% tax on any institution, for anything, anywhere, anywhere. So in other words, all the, all the whole world, all the whole banks of the world. In the world. The, the move by the United States to shut Iranian oil transfers out of the SWIFT system is, is a thing in itself. And the United States is, is pushing the envelope because they're dealing with the Indians who get a lot of their oil from Iran and the Chinese, all right? And neither one of those, especially the Chinese, are going to put up with it, all right? And it's like things don't change until you've gone too far. And we're, we're in a period of intense change. And the United States cannot help itself from going too far. There's, there's an inability of constraint, restraint, or respect. And that's why I think we're, we're in for a, a reckoning. And one of these days, and it won't be the people, though you're talking about the increased military. I mean, Obama stood up and he said, I'm going to, I will not allow surveillance, you know, I'm going to, you know, all this kind of stuff, cave in. The power of the central government is so strong that they run both the parties. They run both the parties. And more fascism, more totalitarianism is, is going to come down until somebody 
either the people collectively, because individually it's never going to work, or a nation stands up and ends this. So a real gold standard would disallow this. The government could never go that far. All right. Now, another point which Speyer makes, and I, uh, I think we should remember, is that the gold standard is, a, is reigning in government power, and the banks, you see, there is a, a big danger, namely the uh, coalition of the banks and the government. And this comes from the self-interest of the government, which cannot sell its bonds at the right price, at the price it thinks it should be. So the government is bribing the banks, and the banks are taking the bribe and create a cozy market for government bonds. It's uh, uh, I scratch your back, you scratch my back type of arrangement with the banks and the government. And uh, the gold standard eliminates this danger because the danger is really a conspiracy against the individual. So there is no, no true democracy unless there is gold standard because the, uh, of the danger of this conspiracy between the banks and the government. The irredeemable currency which the uh, governments and the banks try to strive to impose on society is an instrumentality of servitude. We should see that. I mean, we have all learned the lessons of slavery, of serfdom. You could go through the list. It's not just against your feeling of justice, but it's also economically very inefficient and so on. But we have to see that the irredeemable currency is just another form of bondage. You lose your freedom when a government inflicts irredeemable currency on the people. The rights of freedom, in, uh, which is inherent in the gold standard, will disappear as if by magic. The government becomes the master of the people rather than the other way around, that the uh, people are the master of the government the government becomes a dictator, whatever the high slogans are. The, the government is the dictator because the government is free from effective control. It curbs the rights of the people, curbs their freedom as it see, sees fit. Constitutional government is subverted in an endless number of ways and made to conform to the desire of the government to restrict human freedom. Now you can think of the uh, gold standard also as a voting system. The uh, ballot paper is replaced by the gold coins and everybody has the gold coins and every, not just for every fourth year but every 
or every second year, or whatever the case may be. But every single day, the individual casts a vote, namely by spending the gold coin, or even with holding, refusing to spend. If the market offers a good which the individual finds attractive, then he or she will buy. If not, then the gold coin will not be spent. And, and um, if people uh, same way respond to the rate of interest, they will either hoard the gold or dishoard it. And this is an, an, an inherent uh, freedom which people must have. But we go further than that. This particular way of balloting, casting your ballot, not in paper ballot, but in gold ballot, is even a precondition for the uh, uh, right of people to vote. Because if you take away the gold coin, the government confiscates the gold coin, then, both, then vote buying will replace representative government. The reason there is no vote buying on the gold standard, or certainly it's minimal and can be easily traced, is because the uh, the government cannot issue gold coins the same way as the government can print paper money. So surely if the government wants to buy votes, then it just takes a favored pressure group and will issue directives or even money or or the other way around, the uh, individual pressure groups can bribe the representatives to vote in favor of whatever it is, subsidies or uh, special uh, treatment or even exemptions from certain laws. So in other words, the gold standard is a prerequisite of representative government, because if you take it away and put irredeemable currency in its place, then large-scale vote-buying can come in and distort the picture. Well, I think that we could go on, but uh, it's actually a logical place to stop. So just a quick check if there are any questions. Any? any? Who, who had a question? No one. <laughs> okay, thanks very much, Professor. Thank you.